After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined by Ben Badler, as we are most every week. And we're going to talk prospects as we always do. Prospects are going to be a little bit younger this week because we're going to talk July 2. Well, not just July 2nd, but, but the July 2nd signing period. Starting on July 2nd, teams are allowed to sign uh, Latin American, well, really any world 16-year-olds who are not subject to the, uh, to the baseball draft. And there have been a lot of signings already. Ben's the expert on that. You probably already know that if you follow him on Twitter, Ben Badler, uh, or if you've been going to BaseballAmerica.com this week because we've had a whole lot of news about signings. Before we do that, though, I, I do want to thank our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. Thanks again to DraftDay.com. So, Ben, we're going to dive right in on this. And, and the thing that jumps out this week, it's been a lot of news, been a lot of signings. A lot of uh, teams have already kind of dipped pretty significantly into their signing bonus pool allotments uh, uh, that we have now with the, the new system and all the new CBA. But there hadn't seemed to be a whole lot of surprises. You know this a lot better than I do. Has anything that's happened this week really surprised you, Ben? No, I wouldn't say there have been any major surprises yet. Um, you know, the Rangers did go, uh, it looks like they're going significantly over their bonus pool. I, I did hear that that was something they were going to do. Uh, but we, we did want to be kind of cautious about that before we wrote anything before July 2nd, although we sort of hinted at it before, but two years or, or sometimes even longer. I mean, you know, a guy like Eloy Jimenez, who was in Amari Nina's program when, you know, Elia Hernandez was, you know, a 16-year-old kid who was popping up on the radar and, and signed with the Royals for $3 million a couple of years ago. Well, back then, that's when teams were getting their first looks at Eloy Jimenez. So they've been scouting him for, for years. There's there's kids in Venezuela like Glaber Torres, Grafer Andrade, all these guys who've been playing for Venezuelan tournament teams or uh, Venezuelan like basically junior national teams since they were 
you know, 15, 14, sometimes as young as 12 years old. So they've known about these guys for a long time. So I, I think teams are coming in, coming in at July 2nd, you had a pretty good idea of, of where guys were going to be headed. So uh, it's always good to see it kind of play out the way you, uh, the way you expected it. You know, one of the surprises was um, I did think the A's might be uh, interested in, in Jesus Lopez. I wasn't sure if the Astros were going to be able to uh, lock that down, a shortstop out of Nicaragua, although he's, Probably not going to stay at shortstop because he's not really a quick twitch guy. He doesn't really run all that well, but he's a really good game hitter. So I think the A's stepped up and, and got him done. Uh, but other than that, I think for the most part, pretty guys pretty much landed where they were expected to go. Uh, obviously, with some top guys who are still out there because uh, they're 15 or because they're just waiting for uh, a team to acquire the bonus pool space to to officially lock them down before a team runs out of space and, and can't trade for any more. But for the most part, I think te- teams pretty much did what uh, what we expected them to do. It is interesting. A lot of there's obviously always kind of some kind of effects that happen with new CBA rules and all that, that are either expected or unexpected. One of the things that jumps out is, is you cannot, as you pointed out, you could not acquire space after you've exceeded it. You have to do that before you sign. The thing that's funny with that, though, is is that, uh, again, a lot of these deals get worked out, and then you just wait you know, be, to see if you can acquire that space. Uh, obviously, that maybe explains why of your the top 30, that you, the top 30 uh, prospects that you put together before the signing period began, four of the top five have not officially signed. As you mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of them, I don't believe, are actually eligible to sign yet. And then if you go beyond that, uh, I believe four of the – from six to 30, only four guys have not signed um, with a guy like I, the Cubs. What they're doing seems to be the Rangers and the Cubs are kind of probably the most interesting. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what the Cubs are doing. You mentioned uh, Eloy Jimenez. Are, do you think they're going to be able to acquire more cap room or do you think that they're just going to kind of take the, the tax that's going to come with uh, going over and and signing the, the group that they're looking to sign? Yeah, and this is what we wrote about the week before July 2nd is that they, it looks like they basically indicated to the agents and, and the trainers of various players that they were going to pay them, uh, you know, certain amount of money, which is seems to have come true between Eloy Jimenez, Glaber Torres, uh, Jefferson Mejia, big right-hander of the Dominican Republic, uh, as well as Erling Moreno, a uh, right-hander right-handed pitcher out of Columbia, uh, the number 16 guy on, on the board. So I, I think that they, they made those uh, commitments to guys or sort of gave their word to them, but then they didn't have those trades worked out before July 2nd And because you, you, can't, you can't trade for more pool space until July 2nd. You could have an agreement in place with a team to make that trade, but you can't actually pull it off until July 2nd. I don't even think they had the... So I don't think they had the agreements in place to trade for more pool money. I think the reason why MLB makes that rule is, is basically cost control. Because if you can trade for more pool money before July 2nd, then teams are going to know they're, they're going to be more comfortable committing dollars to players and agents and trainers and players and, and their families are going to be more comfortable uh, accepting those deals if they, if they know that the money is going to be there. If they don't, then... Uh, they should be very cautious of, of what they're accepting because if teams can't come up with those trades, 
then unless they're that unless they're really committed to to those deals and, and honoring them and saying, all right, well, we're going to go over and, and pay the penalty no matter what, uh, then that's going to be creating some very volatile situations uh, with some pretty powerful dudes. So I, I don't think that's in, in the best interest of, of anybody involved uh, to uh, sort of back out on, on any sort of agreement there. So I think what you're seeing the Cubs doing is pretty much what we expected. They, you know, they signed Moreno, they signed Glaber Torres, they signed Jefferson Mejia, uh, and I think they're probably at some point, once they acquire the pool space, they're probably going to sign Eloy Jimenez, but they don't have the pool space right now to be able to do that. I'm sure they're not thrilled that they have to make trades uh, <laughs> at before the trade deadline when other teams realize that their back's kind of up against the wall to make these trades both you know before July 2nd and even now because teams know... <laughs> that what we wrote is 100% accurate. So they're kind of losing a little bit of leverage in, in the trade market when they're trying to trade uh, maybe somebody like Matt Garza or somebody else on their on their major league team to try to rebuild. And that's why you're seeing them say things out there like, oh, yeah, we're not, you know, we don't definitely have to acquire more pool space, things like that. But they really, I mean, they need to acquire. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did just end up going over it and paying the penalty anyway. If they can't acquire that pool space, but I mean, for them, but that's a plan. That's a deep dis, a deep plan B. Is that the correct way of putting yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, they would have they would have they would have severely miscalculated. I think if they end up if they end up not being able to acquire more pool space and having to go over just to pay uh, Eloy Jimenez, because I mean, that's great that you got you know that you might be able to get Eloy Jimenez and Glaber Torres. You know, talent-wise, obviously we have them as the top two players on the board. But if they overcommitted to somebody like, you know, Erling Moreno or Jefferson Mejia or anybody else, not realizing, oh, shoot, we're not going to have the pool space to sign all these guys and, and we're going to pay the penalty, which is nobody over $250,000 for the following signing period, when you're probably, again, going to have at least $3 million uh, and probably one of the biggest, or at least I don't know what the bonus pools are going to be yet, but I should say one of the top, uh, probably top five bonus pools again, given the the caliber of their major league team, to not be able to sign a guy for more than $250,000 next year. I mean, you could have still signed Eloy Jimenez and, and Glaber Torres and then kept your pool money for the next year. So sure, maybe they could trade some of that pool space, but that, that pretty significantly handcuffs you for for the next year if you're going to do that. No, it, it, it most definitely does. And one of the things that you also brought up kind of leading into July to this tough with this is it's also tough since this is the first year to get a handle on how much this cap space is worth. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Astros picked up Ronald Torres. I mean, I guess it depends what you think of, of Ronald. We're Torres. both Torres fans. I guess I'm kind of, Right. I think you and I like him quite a bit. It's it's not so much that he's young and in double A or I don't really care so much about that, but just the the back control that he has and I think he I think he's a good defender at second base. I don't think that the you know, he's not gonna hit more than five to I don't even wanna say ten maybe home runs a year, and he's probably about I mean, would you say it's fair to call him five, six, five, seven? I, well, I don't. 
The, the Astros have cornered the market on the really short second baseman. They have, obviously, Jose Altuve. They have acquired Ronald Torres, and they also drafted Tony Kemp. So if there is a market inefficiency on five foot six uh, second baseman, the Astros have it nailed because they've got all of them. But, yeah, but, you know, but they, mean, they made a trade that basically was we get a player for, in essence, almost giving up. The only What they gave up was cap space that they probably might not have even used. Is that not fair to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have a five. If you need to spend five, they have a five million dollar pool. And if you need to spend five million dollars to find good players in the international market, I mean, did anyone have that? I mean, besides the Rangers, did anyone have a five million dollar budget last year? Uh, In terms of what they've spent already, I I don't see any team doing that. Um, I think, you know, the Cubs have have spent a lot. Obviously, the Rangers have, have committed a lot of money, too. But, uh, you know, the Astros, people are, oh, why didn't they sign, you know, more players? I mean, look, these guys are, are – there's so many good players you can find in the international market for, for $50,000, $100,000, one fit. Like, there's so many good guys who just don't have either the – they just haven't developed as early or maybe they're using their real age, which is why they're not standing out as much. Uh, against some of the kids who are probably really 19 years old and passing themselves off as 16 years old. Maybe they just don't have a high-profile agent or trainer who's bringing them along. Or for whatever reason, you can always find guys who are in that you know, lower end of the bonus range who are just as good as some of these uh, you know, more famous guys. If you need to spend $5 million to find talent in the international market, you just need better scouts. You know, spending is is not scouting. (laughs) There's teams that spend a lot of money, and and there's players that sign for huge bonuses that barely can make it out of rookie ball. So it's, you know, spending is one thing, but, you know, scouting and and finding good players is far more important uh, than any kind of lavish spending. That being said, are you – I I don't think you are, but are you surprised at all that the Astros right now, as you noticed, you know, mentioned – Going into this, the Astros had the biggest uh, budget because of their record last year of any team, and they have none. They have signed none of the uh, top 30 at this point officially. Well, I, I think things probably didn't go according to their plan. I think their plan was to sign Jose Herrera, the catcher out of Venezuela. Number 10 prospect. Yeah, yeah, he ended up signing with the Diamondbacks for a little over a million. I think they thought they were going to be able to get him for a little bit less than that. And, uh, but at, at, at a certain point, I think it just, he just became committed to the diamondbacks. And I mean, look, if, if they had signed him, you know, there's guys who like him, uh, you know, we like, like I wrote, you could put any of those top 10 guys in, in just about any order. I think those guys pretty clearly separated themselves. You're always going to have disagreements on, you know, one or, or two guys there, but all 10 of those guys, that was pretty strong consensus that those were those were definitely the top ten guys in the class this year. You could put Jose Herrera higher than ten, and and I wouldn't make a, a huge argument about it. I mean, this is a guy who is, is fairly new to catching, but he, I think he's going to stick behind the plate, and I think he's got some offensive upside too to, to be able to get on base. And he's not a huge guy, but I think he's going to hit for some for some power too for a catcher. So, you know, if they had gotten him, I think that would have changed things a lot. I think that was their uh, that was their priority, 
But, you know, look, they're still – I still think they're going to sign Wilson Amador, who's the number 24 prospects on our board. They signed Yoan Mauricio, who, you know, he's one of those guys who, once you get past, like, the top, you know, 20 or so guys, the, the, the spread in talent is just so, so thin. It's not like, oh, this guy is number 26 versus some guy who didn't make the list. Uh, you know, like Yohan Mauricio, and, and it's not like Mauricio's not a, a good player or not in the same league as, you know, Michael DeLeon, who signed with the Rangers. I mean, they're pretty – I wouldn't say they're similar prospects, but in, in terms of value, I, I could see them being very similar. I think they probably signed for similar bonuses too. Uh, so, I, you know, th I think they're going to come away with some talent. I still think they're also probably going to sign Wander Franco, who's another – uh, Dominican shortstop maybe moves to another position, but he's probably also in that same range. So I think once they didn't get Herrera, uh, you know, that really changed things up for them. But, you know, look, we always, like we were, we've written about, I think in whenever I first wrote that, wrote that first piece on who were going to be the buyers and sellers for trading international pool space. And one of the first teams I said was, I think the Astros were going to end up trading away space because you just, you don't need <laughs> Five million dollars to spend money to be to be able to find really good international prospects. I mean, I, I understand the Cubs' strategy too, but for the Astros to to, to add somebody like Ronald Torres, who, who I really like and I like a lot more than some of these guys who are on the top thirty, I think I think they did. Uh, if they'd come away with Herrera, it would have been a lot better. But I, I certainly understand the strategy that they were trying to take well, this year. And it's interesting because what you're talking about is, is really two teams who are near the bottom in the big league level who are taking kind of different approaches as well, kind of all through their, their organization. The Cubs seem to be very much, their approach is, is we're going to find impact players. And the Astros approach is very much, we're going to assemble a massive quantity of talent and by spreading the risk, we're going to get more successful big leaguers that it strikes me that, I mean, that's what they're doing kind of in some ways, the, the, the Cubs are out there and they're, you know, Solaire and, and they're going out there and kind of, you know, swinging for the fences, the Astros, even when we're, you know, with the trade deadline coming up, the, the rumors again are that the Astros are looking for quantity. They want to get a, they want to build a, a, you know, get a, a nice depth of prospects and deals. You look at this kind of, even at the, uh, uh, even going down to 16-year-olds in Latin America, the Cubs are going for to sign the top two guys on our board. The Astros are going, you know, maybe we're going to see what this is. They're going to get a, a large quantity of, of prospects. But they're also, the Cubs are saying, okay, Ronald Torres is probably not going to be an impact guy long term. We'll trade him for cap space. The Astros are saying, hey, Ronald Torres is probably going to be a solid, you know, going to be a big, going to be a big leaguer at some point. We want him. That's it's just interesting to me, kind of the. The, the approaches from the, the different sides. Uh, looking at it also, you, you touched on the Rangers a little bit, but the Rangers every year are one of the most uh, active teams in, in Latin America. That's n definitely true again this year. With them, do you think they're a team that all that is going to go over the uh, the limit and uh, you know and pay some penalties for it? It it certainly you know looks that way. I mean, they signed Diplon, Marcos Diplon out of Dominican Republic, Jason Irizarry who. Out of the Dominican Republic, I guess he was born in Venezuela. Uh, they signed Michael De Leon, who was number 26, and they gave you know 1.8 million dollars to Jose Almonte, uh, who you know we, 
think that was we saw that coming, but uh, certainly didn't have the the reports on him to justify putting him uh, anywhere near the uh, the top ten, and um, just didn't have the the reports with people being sold on his bat being able to play enough to put him in the thirty either. But uh, yeah, I mean they. Uh, you know, they like to spend a lot of money in, in that market. They're certainly aggressive. You know, Deplon, Irizarry, uh, you know, I understand those signings. De Leon, I, I get that one. I think Almonte is more of uh, of of a stretch. Uh, that's going to be seen as, as a, a very big stretch within the industry. I'm not sure anybody was really uh, sharing that opinion with them on Jose Almonte. But obviously, we'll, we'll end up seeing who's right down the road. But... Uh, the other guys certainly were more uh, consensus guys. Edgar Arredondo out of uh, Mexico. He's he's a pretty interesting guy. The you know the the right-handed pitcher without the breaking ball right now. That's it's sort of a concern. But uh, you know he's he's still so young that uh, you know he's he's got a fastball up to 91. Pretty good changeup. A uh, pretty good feel for pitching too. So uh, you know those are those are all interesting signings for them. I I can see going over the the pool space. Uh, having more justification than uh, if the Cubs end up doing that, or at least I should say having to pay the penalty because, you know, look, uh, look, the Rangers are probably going to have one of the smallest bonus pools next year. So you could say, all right, let's take in, you know, an every other year strategy almost to the international market and, and sort of load up on, on all the guys that, that we really like and we really have high on our boards and just go every other year because the Rangers are going to have one of the smallest bonus pools again next year. So, you know, that I understand, Almont doing it to get Jose Almonte, uh, I don't understand. I don't think, uh, I don't think that uh, bonus is, is commensurate with his talent as, as seen around the industry. But, you know, if he works out, then it's, uh, I'm sure they're not going to be too, too worried and, about that. And you also, you, it's true that the penalty, it's the same penalty, but the penalty hurts you a lot less if you have a much smaller pool. Because as you said, it's not like you are out of the Latin market for next year. It's that you're going to have to basically sign a lot of of lower money guys because you can still spend up to your bonus allotment. It's just you can't spend more than 250 on any one player, correct? Right. I mean, like if you have a $2 million bonus pool, then the reality is you could do something like what what I think the Yankees are probably going to do, which is sign they already have signed Yonaris Rodriguez. Uh, Dominican shortstop, and I think that once Leonardo Molina turns 16 in August, they'll probably sign him for, you know, I'm just guessing based on what the, I shouldn't say guessing, or making making an assumption based on what the guys around him are, are getting at the top of the market. He's probably going to be in line for about $1.5 million. You know, between him and, and Rodriguez, that's probably going to take up their whole bonus pool this year. Now, obviously, you can sign six guys for Fifty thousand dollars or less, and it won't count against your cap and all that. But uh, that's that's one strategy you can take if, if you have a two million dollar bonus pool. The other is, you know, what the Rays have to pay the penalty this year too of not being able to sign anybody for more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they have a bonus pool of around two million dollars. But you can sign, you know, quite a few players, and and they actually did this a couple of years ago where they they didn't spend any more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a player. And they still ended up spending about $2 million in the international market. So if you have, now if you're the Cubs and, and next year your bonus pool is going to be $3.5 million, then that sort of restricts you and, and cuts off a window 
of opportunity that you've been afforded. So I don't understand, or I, I should say, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, a, a decision to uh, go over and, and pay the penalty. I think that would be a, a miscalculation. But if you're at the, you know, if you're looking at probably having a bonus pool that's at the bottom of the pack, then, you know, I, I can understand, I can understand going for that the, a lot of the guys that you have on, on the top of your board and saying, all right, well, we'll, you know, we'll swallow it for, for next year and, and just take the hit. Uh, and you kind of touched on it when you said this about we, we put together a top, you, you put together a top 30, uh, the top 30 international prospects for this year. This is not the further you get from the big leagues, the more fluid the rankings are. I mean, this is not something where you're saying, okay, that, you know, hey, so-and-so's number, Leonardo Molina's number five and Yeltsin Godino's number eight. So there's a, a distinct difference between those two guys. We're, we're projecting guys who we're talking are five, six years in many cases away from from kind of getting into consideration for being promoted to the big leagues. So <laughs> there's a lot of projection involved in this. Um, and that kind of ties into for the teams as well. There's a lot of projection involved in this. And there, there are a lot of stories of the guy who signed for 50000 or signed for 20000 who you turn around five years later and, and that guy's a, a very significant prospect because, as you said, it could be that one guy's 18. Well, yeah, he's 18, but he's really good. You know, he, he just he's – lo- he's, he's worth less to sign because he's 18 already. But at the same time, you know, he ends up being a significantly better prospect than someone else. Or it's the guy who's a shortstop now with a really good arm and nothing else, but it ends up that he ends up being a really good pitcher. He actually can spin a breaking ball pretty well once he learns he can't hit. There's, there's all kind of stories like that. Along those lines, kind of segueing here, we had the prospect hot sheet that went up today, and Julio Urias, number one on the uh, hot sheet this week, the Dodgers uh, lefty. Ben, how shocking is this to you, uh, what, what, what Urias has done in his first pro season here? It's When we wrote him up last year, he always stood out. For, I mean, he had a, a, a really good fastball for his age, and especially for being – a uh, left-handed pitcher wasn't quite the same velocity of Jose Castillo out of Venezuela, who signed with the Rays. But it was it was a really good fastball, uh, a feel for for a good changeup, and and really advanced pitchability. He was, uh, you know, it's the Mexican League signings are, are are tricky. They're they're not scouted the same way as a player in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. And in, in Urias's situation in particular, it, it was difficult because there was a, a medical situation with him where teams weren't sure uh, what was going on with him and, and they wanted to get him into their, you know, they wanted to see, they wanted to see their doctors and, and the Mexico City club was, you know, sort of being standoffish about that. So there was, there were a lot of health issues surrounding him that made his situation very difficult to read. But in terms of the raw talent that was there, it's, I mean, I, I can't say I'm, I'm, uh, that we ex- anybody expected him to go out to the Midwest League immediately and just dominate hitters. I thought he'd be a guy who would go to the Arizona League, pitch pretty well there, you know, maybe spend, uh, you know, the next year, uh, 
in, in a short season league or maybe make the jump to full season ball at, at 17. But for him to to be in the Midwest League and, and dominating like the way he is, it's uh, I, I'm I'm shocked. I, I didn't think he was going to be this good, this fast. We had I think we had very good reports. You can go back and read on his stuff and, and his feel for pitching uh, at an early age. But for him to be this good, this fast, I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, uh, agreed. Now, the other interesting part, though, is, is that as impressive as this is, I don't necessarily think that this makes a dramatic difference. It makes him, he's a better prospect than we thought he was coming into the year. But if this was a 16-year-old hitter who was doing this in, mid, in the Midwest League, uh, I'd be falling over myself about how impressive this is. As a pitcher, it's it's helpful. It's very good. I don't necessarily myself think it means the same thing, though, because being a pitcher who's well-advanced doesn't translate into necessarily that you're going to keep dominating and stay ahead of hitters for the next 15 years just because you're way ahead of them right now. Do you agree or disagree with kind of, okay, it's a pitcher, so it's useful but not as useful as it would be for a hitter? I think so. I think we make sometimes we make too much out of age for players, uh, especially pitchers. I mean, look, it's, you take the other end of the coin, you can take somebody like Rafael DePaula. Well, all right, well, he's 22, in, in, and he was in low A for a while, and, you know, maybe he's – obviously MLB ruled his age undetermined, so we don't really know how old he is, or there's a lot of players who have that designation, so – but look, it, the question is how is how does the stuff project at the next level or at the big league level? And with Urias, I think at some point his stuff will take a, a, a tick up. It's it's already pretty good, but you're also talking about look a, a five eleven lefty. There's not a ton of physical projection there, so the stuff. I, it's, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to be throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. I also don't think he has to be a guy like that to to be effective, but the fact that he his pitching, uh, you know, his, his feel for pitching, his ability to throw strikes and, and set hitters up uh, is, is beyond his age is, is certainly an encouraging sign, but I, I don't think that means that it's, you know, oh, like, like you said, it doesn't mean that uh, this guy is, a, you know, a future number one starter just because he is, you know, 16 years old and in the Midwest League. It's, he's certainly an exciting guy. Uh, but to, I, I don't like placing too much emphasis on uh, age for for prospects. I think that can get uh, very distorted and, and can really tend to lead to some uh, some bad decisions. No, and and the thing about it is, is stuff is stuff when it comes to pitchers and really whatever age right. you are. I mean that's the thing with DePaula. Yes, he may be a little old for the leagues he's he's, he's pitching in, but the reality is, is you look at his stuff and his stuff is the best stuff in the league in a lot of cases, and that stands out. Uriah's stuff is solid. It's very good stuff, but it's not where you say, wow, he, he's throwing, you know, he has a plus-plus fastball or he has a plus-plus changeup. It's that he really knows how to pitch as a 16-year-old with with solid stuff. I, he doesn't pitch like a 16-year-old. I, I was watching one of his starts on MILB TV recently, and he's very comfortable throwing a uh, an OO breaking ball to start off. And you do that in the Midwest League, you're going to be if you can throw that pitch for strikes, you're going to be up 0-1 a whole lot because they're not looking breaking ball 0-0. And that's part of just I think you see a lot of pitchers coming out of Mexico who 
you know, grow up pitching in, in organized, playing organized baseball more so than in the, you know, somewhere like the Dominican Republic or some other countries where you see a lot of kids come out of Mexico, like, like Roberto Osuna or, or Luis Ferretti who come out and, you know, the stuff and, and the size, uh, or I should say the stuff of, of uh, Osuna is exciting. You know, the size and, and the projection on the stuff of Ferretti is exciting. But those guys also both have really advanced field for pitching uh, because they've done it at the, you know, in, in Mexico, they have a lot of experience growing up pitching in games, pitching in international tournaments. And I think you're seeing that with uh, Urias, too, is just another, a lot of these Mexican kids grow up and, and come up in that baseball environment. And a lot of them do come in and, and immediately are able to have success because they have that experience and they have that feel for pitching immediately when they get into pro ball. Yeah, it's, it, it, that's a very good point. It's, but so basically our, our, our point is, is that be excited about what he's doing, but don't go overboard on it yet because a lot of this is that he has an extremely advanced feel for pitching. That's going to serve him well going on, going forward. But if you have an advanced feel for pitching, no matter what your age is and you're pitching in the Midwest League, that's going to help you have a lot of success because you're facing a lot of hitters who don't have a really advanced approach to hitting. When they see a breaking ball or a changeup early in the count, it either locks them up or they say, okay, well, I'm going to wait because I, I really want to hit a fastball. And they're not, you're not seeing that same recognition where they can do something with that pitch early in the count. And, hey, the reality is, is that if you can throw a good breaking ball early in the count, that will play most of the way up the ladder, but not the same way that it does when you're in, in Midwest League. So, Ben, I know it's a little yeah. shorter this week. Apologize to the listeners. I've got to kind of get a couple things done before heading out for the weekend. I hope everyone had a good fourth. I hope you had a good fourth, Ben. Good fourth? Uh, I think I just sort of uh, relaxed. Yeah, July 2, <laughs> we'll do that to you. So thanks again to our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. And we want to thank you all, our listeners. Thank you for the downloads. Feel free to review us at uh, on iTunes or, or or elsewhere. And we'll be back again next week. Next week we'll be talking midseason prospect update because on Monday, uh, it's the 5th right now, so on Monday, July 8th, we will roll out our midseason top 50 prospects list. A lot of other charts for subscribers to go with it, looking at uh, some of the rising guys who didn't make the 50 but keep an eye on who last year's list included guys like Gregory Polanco, We'll have a chat on Monday with that. We'll kind of have a whole week of midseason prospect update news, and that'll lead into next weekend. Ben and I will both be in, uh, in New York at City Field for the Futures game. So a very busy week next week at, at uh, Baseball America, as it is usually. And thanks again. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, Ben. All right, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. That was fun because that was, for me, that will just set you up and let you talk because you know – Way more than I did. So that was good. That was a really power-packed uh, podcast. Appreciate it.
All right, cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, JJ. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.